So the question is this, how do you become a healthy, lean and fit vegan always having fun and making a sustainable lifestyle you enjoy living? If you want to know the secrets to losing fat effortlessly, building vegan muscle and positively impacting the people around you every single day, then this is the right podcast for you. I am Fritz Horstmann. This is the Vegan Fitness Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Vegan Fitness Podcast to another amazing episode with a very special guest on the show with Dr. Liam Venus joining us today. How are you doing, man? Really good, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I always enjoy connecting with new people and talking about some of these uh, interesting topics. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, yes. Awesome that you joined, that you agreed to join us. I'm super excited to have you because you're one of the few like vegan doctors that's actually, like if I can say this, like promoting actual science-based vegan nutrition content, right? So um, not like the woo-woo, um, turmeric and black pepper type stuff, but actual like real <laughs> stuff that matters um, for, because the listener base, like um, people listening to this podcast um, really want to transform their physique on a plant-based diet. And of course do it in a way where it's sustainable, it's enjoyable, it's healthy. And mm. it's, it's not something they just do for like, three months and then they quit because just boring and they feel bad they're bloated so i when researching guests for this podcast i always like to invite guests that actually align with um, like when it comes to the values and i think i love the content you bring on your youtube and your instagram is very very yeah, science-based of course um oh. not too much rules so yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. it. It's, you know, for me, it's just a no brainer when it comes to the scientific evidence point of view, right? It's because nowadays there are so many experts, if you will, so many gurus, so many uh, know-it-alls basically on the internet, right? And, and yes. they're giving so much advice, which is completely unbacked by science. And from a medical point of view, this is the basic of basics. You know, that's one of the things that we, we get taught very early on in medical training is Expert opinion is is one of the least reliable sources of information, and we can talk about this later if you want with the hierarchy of evidence. But this is kind of what the medical industry uses to base their advice on, because we can't just give advice to patients without having any sort of evidence backing backing our advice. Uh, and this is what you see so much on the internet is just statements, you know, blind statements with nothing to back it up, and people just blindly believing uh, in, in these uh, so-called experts. Uh, and, and it's such a it's a, such a horrible and, and detrimental trend because you know you can find people who who will agree with almost any opinion on the planet and if there's no no evidence to back up that opinion it it's, should be uninteresting. However, mm. you still have all these gurus with millions of followers listening to every word they say. You know, so it's actually my brother makes makes fun of me for that. He says, "Well, you know, the doctor will help you with credibility, sure, sure, but you know." nothing will give you more credibility than more followers. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, quite a paradoxical thing, but you see it very much today. And I think it's one of the things we need to, we need to focus on changing for, for, in order for people to, to be more closely aligned to the truth and more factual in their thinking. Yes. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Absolutely agree. And I love that you use the influence you have, which you also have been building over the past years um, and the knowledge that you have to, access to resources you have, you actually use it for a good cause. And uh, I, th I think that's also why I want to get you on because especially in the vegan community, there's a lot of like misconception about what is actually real science and what isn't topics like, Hey, um, like a lot of vegans say, yeah, you don't need that much protein actually, or 
they focus on different things that aren't actually super researched. So that's why I think yeah. you can bring a lot of value. That's freaking awesome. Um, so to start us off, can you go, give us a quick intro about yourself? So to a listener maybe that doesn't know you, um, uh, what's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, what do you do? Um, well, how long have you been vegan as well? Your vegan story and uh, yeah, everything about that. Okay, sure. Um, okay, so a little summary of Leo Venus, sure. <laughs> uh, I guess um, background, I've been, you know, growing up from country to country, been moving around all my life, which I, I like to, to include because I think it attributes to uh, a little bit of my open-mindedness because growing up, you know, I, I lived in Brazil, Spain, Norway, USA, a lot of different places, and you get to see so many different cultures, which kind of opens you up to saying, hey, look, there's more than one way of living, and not necessarily a, a better or worse way or a right or a wrong way of living and it just you know kind of makes you realize that there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things and and being completely fine so that's you know very chaotic upbringing all over the place and then uh, uh, got into science and uh, you know I did a bachelor's degree in biochemical engineering uh, in Norway and then I did my gra graduate entry medical degree uh, for four years in Dublin and now I dedicate myself to as you say try to spread this knowledge and, and try to teach people healthy lifestyle and how to avoid getting sick in the first place because you know th this is the thing when it comes to lifestyle related disease which is estimated to be around 70 to 80 percent of the disease burden in the world today is coming from lifestyle related disease and so when it comes to these the prevention aspect is by far the most powerful thing that we can affect. However, in most countries, the prevention, uh, you know, the, the med medical budget, which is assigned to things like prevention is, is usually <laughs> below 5%, you know, so it's very, mm -hmm. very small, very little emphasis on it, even though it's, it's probably by far the most important thing we can do. And uh, I think there's a lot of cultures, a lot of stereotypes that, that kind of keep us from taking you know this more seriously and emphasizing this more we have all these things like oh well people don't want to change people want the easy way out right just get a pill and get over with it and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff but i think a lot of it just comes from the lack of understanding and lack of of awareness of how powerful lifestyle actually can be if i think if people really knew number one how little most drugs and surgeries actually do for their underlying problem and how powerful the alternative which is actually preventing and and using lifestyle to not only prevent, but even in some cases reverse their d disease. If they, they knew the power behind that, I think people would be much more motivated and willing to actually jump on, on this train. Uh, when it comes to being vegan, then I have actually been vegan almost seven years now. And um, awesome. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's starting to, to become a while, you know, I'm still looking forward to that 10 year mark. I feel like once, once you hit 10 years, you're like OG vegan status, you know, you'll, something will happen inside. You'll like evolve into this new type of human being. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes. But uh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been a good while, you know, and um, never been stronger than I am now. Put on a muscle, a lot of muscle since I, I went vegan uh, and uh, learned a lot of things along the way, not only about veganism, but uh, about human psychology and communication, all these things that, I feel, you know, if you're, if at least if you're vocal about veganism and you try to influence people, uh, if you do that for a few years, you almost automatically become some sort of behavioral psychologist because <laughs> you meet a lot of uh, very, very uh, ardent opinions and you get into a lot of arguments and you learn a 
thing or two along the way, which is, which is always great. So that's basically the abridged version of, uh, of how I got here. Yes. Love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, yeah, I mean, you definitely know a thing or two about how to, how to prevent these, these diseases and um, how to like how lifestyle choices really make a difference. I also love the last part you, you mentioned where like you learn a lot about human psychology, like within the vegan movement, like even though it's like, like a niche itself, there's still yeah. so many different camps, right? So there's the um, raw foods only camp, there's the whole foods only camp. And then mm -hmm. there's people that do if it's a macros as well. And like I've experienced this since I post like yeah, pretty much controversial content, you could say. And yeah, yeah. I, I like to still be science-based. So I, a lot of people, they yeah, maybe write hate comments or they don't agree at all. And even though it's still within the vegan movement, like people hate on each other, which I find a bit sad. Um, I mean, I don't get affected by it since I know what I post is um, science-based, but it's just super interesting to observe, right? Like that's yeah. in the vegan scene, there's so many different camps as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, vegans are, are no exception, just like doctors are no exception to, to human nature, right? We're emotional animals, and, and when it comes to things we we believe in strongly when these things are challenged you know we tend to to have pretty in many cases at least if you're not very self-reflected you're not very aware of this this type of tendency and these these patterns you know people tend to react very strongly um and, and so i think yeah it, it's a very interesting thing to observe uh, but it is definitely something that that uh you know a lot of people struggle with in the beginning you know you're you, you find this amazing thing that has so many benefits in your your natural reaction is let's spread this let's tell everyone we know about this and then all of a sudden you're met with anger and aggression and opposition in every corner and you're like whoa what is going on i'm just trying to help people here um so it's it's a very you know it opens your eyes to how human beings work and within the vegan movement as well you know people uh, i think it's it's really a, a thing of just uh, you know I, I identifying yourself with something right because and this is something that doesn't just apply to veganism, but applies to things in general. Any any type of position or belief that people have uh, is when you start identifying yourself and, and you start putting your ego into that aspect of, of life or into that belief, then you kind of close yourself off from, from objectively, uh, you know, looking at things and considering things with an open mind. And, and I think this is, is one of the, the main challenges we have is actually to you know because from a scientific point of view we already have more than enough science we don't need any more science to to suggest that you know what at least a, a almost 100 percent, if not a 100 percent plant-based diet a vegan diet is the optimal diet for human beings and, and it has clear benefits for uh, preventing things like cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes high blood pressure different types of cancer we have all of that science is there that's that's not what we need what we need now is the the behavioral psychology aspect and the communication aspect where we actually make this message into something that can be received well by people and uh, can be considered by them with an open mind instead of having the the you know egoic defense just go straight up and and not even consider what's being told right yes well yeah absolutely that's that's amazing that you shared that it's it's not about like more science about how you communicate it so everyone can apply it to their to their lifestyle um so that's that's awesome and that's also maybe why you started your um your social media right so what made you start 
um, your YouTube channel, um, Dr. Leo, and your Instagram channel, be more active there. What was your mission behind that or your idea behind sharing more of that? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, the, the main part of the main motivation behind it is definitely the fact that it's, it's a platform where I can share the message to, you know, a potential huge amount of people. And uh, for me, it was just uh, a case of, you know, uh, I found this thing, which is just mainstream society does not know about. And I just want to get the message out there. And, and YouTube and social media in general is a, is a very nice platform to give people a voice wherever you are, however much money you have, whatever you know, country you're from, you always have this platform where you can share a message that you believe is important. And, and, and you know, I also have a, an older brother, I'm sure you've heard of his name, uh, John Venus. Um, you know, that's, uh, he, he has been doing social media for quite a while before me. And he, he kind of opened, I guess, my eyes to, oh, this is actually, you know, something that is very, uh, very doable and very, uh, you know, unless you actually have some experience with something, you don't really consider it. But for me, it was pretty close to home since my brother already was pretty big on social media back then. And so for me, you know, all the all, all the puzzles just or all the pieces were just fitting into the puzzle and it just made sense for me. Like this was a, a practical and a, a logical way to get the message out there for more people to to learn about the, the objective side of things when it comes to plant-based diets. Yes. And that's what we need in this movement. Um, so love that you decided to do that. That's exciting. And you're just getting started, right? Because you just finished, if I'm not mistaken, you just finished your studies. Um, yeah. So you're just getting started, right? With the whole social Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I've, I've been on for a couple of years, but, you know, through medical school, it's just exam after exam, and there's just so much studying. And so you, you, I was never really able to, to put any significant amount of effort and, and really sit down and focus on social media so it wasn't you know very consistent there was a, a lot of times i'd go one or even two months without uploading a, a video on youtube you know so it was very uh up and down for for you know a couple of years but now that i'm, I'm finished with medical school uh i feel like i'm, I'm more ready to just uh, focus more on this mission and, and uh, uh do my part for for this movement which is absolutely a great movement to be in and it's one of the things I'm, I'm the most proud of is, is uh, being able to to contribute to a thing that has so many positive aspects to it yes awesome that's great definitely excited to see what i uh, would still have in store for us um so next thing i'm super curious about since um of course as humans we always have our like you said before we have our biases we have our own values and we want to confirm them right we search to confirm our biases so a lot of people that maybe do their own research um like and want, they want to find studies that confirms what they think right it's a confirmation bias i think it's called yeah, yeah. Um, and especially you as a doctor like how are you managing to not be biased looking at studies so like cherry picking searching for the the study that makes like veganism so great and ignoring the rest like do you have like tactics or how do you actually approach that to making sure <clears throat> yeah that's a great question and i mean this is something that we need more of a focus on in general because like you said most people are always looking for what they already know uh, and this goes for even conversations you know you hang around with people who believe the same things as you do and all you hear are the same opinions and you're, mm. you're all just confirming each other's opinions and you know you just grow into this uh, big bunch of people who just 
uh, is just confirming each other's biases, you know, it's like a, a bias club. But in terms of, uh, for me, one of the most important things, obviously, was studying science, which, which kind of teaches you the basics of, of, you know, the, the principles of science dictate that whenever you think you know something, you still have to remain open to the fact that those things that you think you know might change as better information comes in. And this is basically one of the pillars of science. It's one of it's kind of like a, a, a humility of the scientists. It's something that, unfortunately, a lot of scientists don't live by. You know, a lot of scientists mm-hmm. do let their emotional aspects, because, like I said, doctors, scientists, etc., are still human beings. And I, I've come to find that most human beings are emotional before they are logical. And so, even people who are professionally supposed to be in a logical career can often have mm-hmm. uh, emotional reasons for not seeing uh, an objective truth right uh, but for me it's it's remembering that and really reminding myself every time I'm, I'm looking into an issue is saying you know the truth doesn't care about what i think the truth will remain the truth regardless of what i think and uh, and this is kind of uh, something that I, I remind myself whenever i'm looking at other people what other people are saying is i you know in terms of finding the truth and aligning myself with the truth what other people think is not interesting like it really doesn't matter what someone's opinion is what i care about are the facts and the facts do not come from opinions they come from the highest quality evidence that we have on those subjects and this this is why i think the hierarchy of evidence is such a powerful tool is just to give people some sort of framework in order to kind of divide different forms of evidence based on what kind of quality, what kind of reliability is behind those forms of evidence. And when it comes to, as you said, some people find a study that proves their point and a study that proves their beliefs. And that already is incorrect. What that sentence I just said, a study that proves something that is already incorrect Mm. because one study by itself never proves anything. And this is another thing most people don't realize is one study is just a small piece to a large puzzle. And so when you look at objective truths, this is why in the hierarchy of evidence guidelines from the biggest organizations in the world are often one of the most reliable things because with like with anything else, if you want the most accurate and the most correct point of view, you want to take the whole perspective. You want to see everything there is to see. And when it comes to studies, we are talking about hundreds and hundreds of studies, right? And, and this is what, for example, the World Health Organization did in conjunction with the IARC, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, when they came out with their report stating that red meat is a class 2A carcinogen and processed meat is a class 1 carcinogen, definitely causing cancer in humans. They had 22 leading world experts go over, I think it was over 820 studies and putting up a massive amount of data to come to this conclusion, to, to make this official classification. And then, you know, some people will find one study that says, oh, meat doesn't cause cancer. And they compare these two things as if they were equals, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's just realizing the the huge difference there is between these different types of evidence and uh, being able to differentiate between them, I think is one of the most important things for anyone who wants to be factual in their opinions. and, and, And remember as well that it's okay to be wrong. I think we have this ego thing today where it's like, everyone wants to know everything and it's completely unrealistic nobody can know everything right no matter how much of an expert you are it's uh, one of the main things in science is you know what you think you know can be proven to be wrong with better information so the best we can do 
is align ourselves with the best information we have. And if better comes along and disproves us, then we have to go along with that. Um, but, you know, to, to just confirm your, your previous biases, that's uh, the most sure way to just keep being incorrect for the rest of your life. And nobody does this on purpose. Nobody wants to be incorrect, but it's just, again, the human nature of the emotional animals we are just keeps us going in that direction. I think unless you're aware of it, it's very difficult to do anything about it. Yes, yes. That's such, a, such an interesting topic. And I loved how you broke it down. Um, and would you mind sharing the, the hierarchy of evidence to, like, to break down on what really is, like you said, okay, the world's organizations, they looked at a lot of studies that experts work on. So that's like maybe number one. Um, yeah, yeah. When you look after, like what comes first, like meta studies or um, review, research review? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. So, so I, can, I can just talk a little bit about it just in terms of the, the concept of the hierarchy of evidence. It's, it's basically a, a diagram or a scheme or a, a way of a structure that organizes different types of evidence into different reliability. And this is, they, they give you levels of evidence. So one of the most popular diagrams for uh, showcasing or, or illustrating the hierarchy of evidence is a big pyramid, so like a triangle where at the bottom of the pyramid you have the least reliable source of information and then at the very top you have the most reliable source of information. And again, this is kind of to help people conceptualize how sure should I be about this opinion in terms of how much evidence do I have and what kind of quality evidence is it that I have to back up this opinion, right? So at the very bottom you have things like animal and laboratory studies. The reason these are at the very bottom is because things that happen outside of the body in a petri dish or in the laboratory, uh, as well as things that happen in a different species of animals than human beings are often different than how biological processes happen in our bodies. And so a lot of times these results can be irrelevant to, to how it would happen in natural circumstances. Um, and the other thing that, that is kind of interesting here with laboratory studies is, uh, to my knowledge, most countries in the world today, there is no such thing as vegan medicine because all medications actually have to be tested on animals first mm. before it becomes tested in human beings. Uh, and this is uh, a lot of things, you know, a lot of people get pretty surprised about this because, uh, you know, it's not something you think about. Oh, wait, medications aren't vegan. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying that vegans shouldn't take medications. I think that is completely unreasonable. If you have something that, you know, a life-saving uh, medication or, or, surgery could help you then you shouldn't say no because all oh, that medication is vegan instead i think uh we, we should rather focus on changing the system which is far from perfect and the reason the system is far from perfect is for a few reasons number one obviously you have the ethical implications of using animals and causing intentional uh disease and harm to these animals against their will uh which is you know from a vegan point of view is probably the main issue people have but even from a scientific and from an accuracy point of view it can be very dangerous because number one, a lot of times things that tend to be safe in other species of animals and therefore pass that part of testing, that pass animal testing and then go on to human trials, they actually end up being very dangerous in human beings. So it can give people a false sense of security. And then the opposite is also true, where sometimes medications actually are unsafe in other species of animals and therefore fail animal testing and never go on to the next stage yet they could have been amazing drugs, amazing medications in human beings, yet we will never know because it failed animal testing. So it's a far from perfect system, and it definitely is something that 
that needs to change. I do know that there are a few organizations that are working on trying to affect public policy and try to move things in the scientific community away from animal testing, but it's uh it's a long long process i think it's going to take a while before we get there but hopefully sooner rather than later um so that's anyways one of the bottom of the hierarchy of evidence sorry for the little bit of a sidetrack there no talking worries. about all this um but so basically going up then we have things like case reports case series expert opinions so case reports and case series is basically just the scientific version of anecdotal evidence you observe something interesting you document it and there it is so it's just kind of examples of things that have happened. You document it and then people can read about it. Expert opinions, as we kind of talked about before, is anyone's opinion who, who you know, is a doctor, nutritionist, et cetera. Anyone who's supposed to have expertise in a certain area gives their opinion. Still, being human beings, one of the most human things in the world is making mistakes. And therefore, the hierarchy of evidence recognizes that expert opinion is at the very, almost at the very, very bottom of the hierarchy. Very, very unreliable. Mm -hmm. Going up then, we have things like case control studies. So this is where you take cases of a certain disease or anything that you're looking to study, and then you compare that to controls, as in people who don't have that particular thing you're studying. And then you try to look for risk factor differences in between the groups. Um, and then going up, then you have things like cohort studies. So prospective cohort studies are, are the better one here. And, and, and that is because it eliminates quite a few biases by not having uh, researchers looking back in time but instead just find different populations that have different risk factors and then follow them over a long period of time and then see if there's any difference in, in risk of developing whatever outcome of interest so if it's say uh, lung cancer with with smoking right you will take uh, populations that smoke versus don't smoke but then are uh, relatively similar in as many of the other aspects of life as possible follow them over a long period of time and then see if there's different rates of lung cancer in the different groups, right? So this is a pretty high quality form of evidence. Uh, and then higher up then, almost at the top, we have randomized controlled trials. So this is where the environment is controlled. People are given uh, either a placebo or a medication uh, or something that's being tested. It can be a surgery as well. Sometimes people I have actually done this with with mock surgeries where people think they're going in for surgery. They get a, a little scar and then actually nothing's been done to them. So but mm. they still think they've gotten a surgery. Um, and this is basically the gold standard for most medical treatments because it eliminates the most amount of biases. You have something called double-blinded placebo-controlled trials. So this is where neither the doctors or the researchers or the participants know if they're on the placebo or not. Nobody knows. So that kind of takes away observer bias and, and all these things where people get, basically get treated the same because nobody knows who's in what group, right? Uh, and then you, you look at, uh, does this treatment outperform placebo? And the reason we actually compared to placebo is because the placebo effect is surprisingly powerful. Um, mm -hmm. And it does actually <laughs> lead to a lot of improvements in a lot of different conditions. And so this is why it's always either compared to placebo or to the uh, previous best treatment available before this new treatment came out. Um, and, and then at uh, one step higher up, then you have meta-analyses and systematic reviews, which then take all of this uh, different studies that are looking at the same outcome. So looking at large amounts of data uh, and then putting all of that data together to increase the power of the study. And the, the power of the study is then its ability to reliably make 
true conclusions about about what's going on. So in in research, the the higher your sample size, right, the more people you have, the more accurate your conclusions is going to be. So that's basically the concept behind the meta analysis and systematic reviews is just to have increased power in the studies that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then at the very top are things like clinical practice guidelines. And this is why in, in medicine, when I was, you know, doing different rotations and different uh, clinical placements in, in hospitals, most specialties, you, you have all of these sets of guidelines that people just follow. You know, a, a lot of doctor work is actually almost just robotically following guidelines. And, and this is because these guidelines are coming from the highest uh amount of evidence right so you have like i said before we were mentioning that the, the big organizations putting together all of the evidence to come with with the most uh, scientifically correct uh pieces of, of advice and, and you know this is not to say the clinical practice guidelines are never incorrect but unless you have the time to go over hundreds and hundreds of studies and you have the expertise of going through the statistics and, and the method the uh, the, the methods of every study and, and you know how to critically appraise the scientific literature the way that these professionals are, um, which, you know, is, is quite, quite challenging in, in and of itself and it would take a huge amount of time, then going by these clinical practice guidelines is probably the best uh, that, uh, you know, people in general have in terms of aligning themselves with, with the truth. So that's basically the, the hierarchy of evidence. Top is clinical practice guidelines, meta-analysis, systematic reviews, clinical trials, prospective course studies are pretty good. And then when you get below that, we're talking about pretty weak evidence. So it's something to keep in mind whenever you think you have an opinion, think why is it that you have this opinion? Do you have any, any actual evidence backing up? And then think how strong is this evidence? Is this based on one study, two studies, or 800 studies? Uh, yes. Is it based on uh, the clinical practice guidelines? You know, so... It's, uh, I think if, if more people learn to kind of rank their opinions based on how sure they are of themselves, we would most, most of us would find out that most of our opinions are actually uh, very weak from an evidence-based point of view. And that, therefore, we should actually be open-minded to, to most things a lot more than we are today. Yes. Well, love, love the breakdown. Um, also super helpful for me, again. Um, and I think a lot of people that they may realize that they need to dig deeper. Like maybe they read a blog article about something and the blog article said, yeah, so studies show that X, Y, Z. And they, they know they need to dig deeper, but they just don't want to do it because then they may find that it's not as simple. It's not as black and white. So yeah. it's, it's often that you break it down. And if, if you really want to find out if what, you, what you read or what you yeah, what you heard actually is, is true, then you gotta go a bit deeper or consume content of people where you know that they are like super like neutral and actually look at all the studies, which exactly, um, exactly. I'm, I'm lucky to, to have like this, like this, um, these people here in Germany. We have a lot of like YouTubers um, and podcasters who are really science-based and they, yeah. of course, they're maybe also biased, of course, but they really dig deep and they... Um, they just promote the science-based stuff. And that's what, where I learned it from. And they also uh, publish ebooks where they actually link all the studies. And of course, they have to have some knowledge to analyze that. But that's also the easiest step for the listener to do right now if you're unsure, um, like, okay, like that's too much work. I don't have time to dive into all these different studies. Totally understand. 
but then like go ahead and consume content of people who actually do. So yeah, like, yeah. like Dr. Leo um, or other people in, in the scene. And of course, there's also, you gotta be careful not everyone who does that is also 100% in the game, but still it's better than just reading like random blogs of like um, of random people. So definitely. that's it. That's exactly it. And that's such a good point. That's why it's so important to, to find, again, not people's opinions, but people who present the science, right? That's, that's what's really valuable. That's what we need to, to be looking at. And I think what you mentioned with blogs as well is so important because blogs is just another sometimes glorified just because it's on a web page or on the internet people maybe have this automatic kind of uh, uh, thought that it's it's more reliable than it is but a blog post is just a, another version of a person's opinion you know so uh, and this is I, I don't know if you've been following with the game changes for example it's it's so <laughs> interesting to see how many debunkles there already have been and again, objectively looking, it's it's completely ridiculous. Here you have one of the most scientifically backed documentaries in the, in the history of documentaries. It's it's just you know sourced up to the teeth, and then you have people debunking it. And in the debunking, they don't have a single study sourced. And, and you're saying, okay, so so we're we're going to discredit something that is full of science by using zero science. <laughs> and and people yeah. fall for it you know and it's it's absolutely incredible that this is why i'm saying people just are not aware of what actually constitutes good evidence and this is what we need to teach people yes big time that's that's why it's so awesome so valuable what you do for the movement um so great i actually was curious um you probably know the most like vegan doctors that are in the scene, like Dr. Mike Gregor, Neil Bernard, Essence Scene, Michael Clapper. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm just curious if you like if you think everything, not everything, but most of what they say is um, can actually be backed by by real science. I don't want to like um, talk bad about them, whatever it is. I'm just curious because I have experience with Dr. Gregor, for example, that some of the stuff is not is also the cherry picked and not really accurate so can you like maybe break down like how in general can you can you make sure that the content you consume is actually um real or which doctors do you think do a great job in the vegan scene uh, of doing that as well yeah so i mean i haven't met all of them and, and like you said i i mean opinions usually are are uninteresting whether they're from interest you know from, from experts or not so uh, again if you're looking for the facts i would say these guys' opinions are, are still uh, not the, the most high-quality uh, type of information that you could be searching. Uh, however, uh, many of them do really uh, follow the science-based approach. And, and I'll be curious, actually, to ask you a little bit more about Michael Greger as well, uh, what your experience is, because, well... First of all, I've, I've met, actually, Neil Barnard I've met. He was a super, super nice guy. I was lucky enough to have an internship at the uh, Barnard Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I was actually following uh, Jim Loomis, who is uh, the physician on The Game Changers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was with him for a couple of weeks. And, and it was just really, really nice to see uh, all of these things that you've been studying about and that you've been researching about and you've been seeing the effects through the scientific literature, but then seeing the real life examples of people coming into their clinic, not even knowing about plant-based diets or veganism or anything like that, and then being put on a more plant-based diet, being educated, you know, this is a, 
uh, uh, normal primary care facility where they have uh, you know, primary care physicians, yet everyone in the team is on the same page when it comes to healthy lifestyle, plant-based diets, et cetera. So they have registered dietitians, nurses, everyone is pushing the same message. And so people come in not knowing anything about this, and then they start slowly changing the lifestyle and, you know, going in and being with them for two weeks and seeing patients coming in and looking at their histories and looking at their reports, seeing their cholesterol coming down every, every visit, their high blood pressure is coming down, their HbA1c, their glucose is coming down and seeing them taking them off of medications, you know, and, and seeing people actually getting healthier, actually getting better, losing weight, feeling better. And it's just really, really inspiring to see real life examples of people who are putting this uh, evidence-based approach into practice. And it just goes to show you that we, we need, we need a lot more of this. Yes. Um, and then I've also met Dr. Clapper a couple of times. I was actually lucky enough to, to um, be invited to a dinner uh, where we got to chat quite a lot. And, you know, he was telling me a story about uh, uh, Kim A. Williams, uh, the former president of the American College of Cardiology, where, uh, you know, they were incorporating plant-based diets in cardiology, which is one of the areas where uh, it has the strongest effect in terms of, of reducing cardiovascular disease. And uh, he told me a funny story where he was, you know, because they are, they're friends and he was talking to Kim A. Williams and and he was like, oh, how are you doing? You know, they, they kind of went to this meeting together. And and, and uh, Dr. Kim A. Williams was like, ah, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. And Dr. Clapper was like, oh, well, what's going on? You know, you seem a bit down. So he's like, yeah, well, you see, we've been getting these reports and our, our profits and our sales, you know, are really going down. The hospital is wondering what's happening. And, and, and basically <laughs> what's going on is, is his patients were getting so much better that their hospitals, they didn't have to come into hospital anymore. They didn't have to have all of these surgeries and all of these procedures and all of these medications. So, you know, someone who used to, you know, a hospital that used to be very profitable, really a profitable area for the hospital, now ended up not making a lot of money because, you know, people weren't getting sick. And this is, you know, exactly what you want as someone who wants to heal people. But from a business point of view, it's not the, the best, you know, so yeah. <laughs> it was a really funny kind of a, a problem. And uh, that's why actually some people are now are trying to come up with new systems where people, instead of, you know, having hospitals and doctors and, and basically the medical system as it's set up today, instead of having the system profit from people being sick and having to get paid by insurance for procedures and, and, and uh, medications and surgeries, etc., is to have uh, some sort of system where good health is promoted. So in terms of, uh, you know, almost like a, an insurance where the more people stay out of hospitals, the more, uh, you know, the insurance companies pay. Uh, and there's a really interesting kind of change in, in, in dynamics that, that they're talking about in terms of, because otherwise the system is the way it's set up today, right? Is the sicker people are, the, the more the system makes. And then obviously mm -hmm. this is a horrible uh, horrible starting point so anyways that was a, a kind of an interesting uh interesting story that i just yeah. thought I'd, I'd, I'd share but uh, yeah dr clapper super super interesting guy he's been i think vegan since the 80s <laughs> so it's a very and that's i think i have to say that one of the most impressive things about all of these guys and and it just goes to talk about again that the the scientist approach is none of them were born vegan they're all you know quote unquote normal people eating meat and fish and whatever 
and they all changed their their behaviors and their views once they saw the the, the better science yes. um and that's why I, I think this is so so powerful and this is why i think it's objectively such a clear-cut thing when you're looking at people who are promoters of the plant-based diets versus people who are promoters for say the keto diet or uh you know carnivore or whatever like right now i just had a youtube uh, video of mine uh, taken down because I was doing one where I was uh, criticizing some of the advice of this certain guy called uh, Dr. Eric Berg. And, um, you know, this absolutely zero studies backing any of his advice, really dangerous stuff. And then, uh, you know, whenever somebody actually puts up real evidence to go against his opinion, he just files copyright claims and your video gets taken down, right? So it doesn't give you the most kind of transparent, honest uh, vibe when it comes to these people. But again, it's it's like what I always say. It's it's the evidence, it's the science mm. that ha is interesting, not people's opinions. And, and this is why I, I would like to ask you what you know what it is about Michael Greger, because from my experience, he is basically and Dr. Neil Barnard as well, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Uh, you know, they're all great at that, but they're they're basically like the gold standard for how evidence-based thinking should be. Is is they 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 present the evidence and then they try to take a, a kind of a whole picture approach to what is the science today and what can we can we learn from it of course i'm sure you know mistakes have been made by by every person out there because like i said it's impossible not to make any mistakes but from what i understand michael greger uh, neil barnard these organizations are are basically the gold standard they're basically exactly how most people should think in terms of let's find out the truth so let's take a whole picture look at the evidence and find out what the facts say mm -hmm. yeah i mean again i love the breakdown and i totally agree that's what what these these doctors do it's amazing for the movement it's amazing for like it saves people's lives so i'm not in any way like since i'm not a doctor myself so i don't have the credentials of course um that's just what my like some of my research um basically uh, brought down to um, uh, uh. topics like oxalates, uh, where Dr. Greger doesn't differentiate too much, or like uh, when it comes to like artificial sweeteners, I think he's pretty much against it, even though it's shown to be super safe. Um, but again, like I'm not criticizing anyone, just like a few things that that um, shine out to me at the same time. Of course, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Either. Um, so it's just. Yeah main message here should be like they're doing a great job right um so that's that's what they do and it's yeah awesome. yeah exactly and i think one of the things is as well the more successful people get and especially when it comes to something like food and and something that's so emotional um you know the, the bigger someone gets on social media the more uh, negative attention they're going to get as a result and the more resistance they get and i i find it's it's a bit interesting with dr michael greger is that there's so you know for someone who who presents things in such a an objective way in such an unbiased unemotional way where it's it's not like uh, he's not standing there saying well i believe and i think and I, my opinion is no he says okay here's the science mm -hmm. here is uh what it shows and yet people you know i've heard uh, a lot of bad things uh, you know bad opinions about him where it's like oh you know he's uh is so exaggerated in so many points and and it's it's just for me it's it's a funny funny thing to observe um, but again i think uh like you said the 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 main uh, message is, is absolutely uh really helpful and i think uh, like i have nothing but respect for these guys and uh, like i said really really proud to be part of this movement 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of always curious for me to see where these things are coming from. Um, and for Michael Greger, I mean, I'm just, I think it's just uh, impressive at that, that the amount of work that, that one man is able to, to, <laughs> to, to come up with, right? So it's just the, 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 the database he's come up with is, is just so impressive. The amount of work, I mean, he, this guy is a machine, right? He's just <laughs> pumping out so much, so much information all of the time. And, and uh, you know, of course, there's, there's going to be, and even, you know, this is the thing, even if you are factual-based, even if you are evidence-based, sometimes the evidence gets it wrong too, right? So um, it's impossible to be correct 100% of the time. And that's why I'm, I, I always say it's, it's not really beliefs. It's like the best evidence. And once mm -hmm. the best evidence changes, you got to change with it because uh, that's, you know, sometimes things aren't perfect, but just because something isn't perfect doesn't mean that uh, we, we, that it's invalid, right? We should still use the best information we have available to us rather than say, well, it's not perfect. So you might as well just use any information, right? It's, it's not, uh, again, it's not an equal comparison. Yes. Yeah. Big time. I love that you broke it down. Um, totally, totally agree. And I'm curious, what's in your opinion? So when we talk about health, since this is a big topic of this episode, um, what is in your opinion, a good objective marker of, uh, being a healthy vegan, right? So, uh, of course, subjective, it could be like, yeah, I feel great. Like, or what do you think? Like is feeling energized and good everything there is it a good marker of health or what do you mm. think is a good marker of health like how can i make sure i'm the healthiest i can be because that's something a lot of people strive for um in this podcast of course main focus is transformation but again health of course is even more important so what do you yeah, think yeah. What, what are good like objective markers of health um, that vegans can look at to see okay am i actually doing right or not Yeah, so I'm so happy you're bringing this up, Fritz, because it's 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 such an important topic and something that is so argued about today and in, in social media and on the internet in general is this right? How how do you feel? And uh, there, first of all, I just you know I'm going to say uh, like just you know just follow along and don't don't give up on my opinion here. But my opinion is is the way you feel is one of the probably one of the least reliable ways of going about whether or not what you're doing is good. Obviously, you know, if you're, if you're sick and you have symptoms, you, you want to figure out what's going on. There's obviously something wrong, uh, but there's a few reasons why trying to figure out what's good for you and what's bad for you based on your feeling is extremely unreliable. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to explain why I think this as succinctly as I can. So there's a few things. Number one, is that a lot of things that feel good are are not necessarily good for you right so that's uh so so many things that, that give give humans pleasure that make us feel good yet are in the long term uh very very bad for us and so having this as as kind of your goal is is already quite unreliable from that point of view number two is that when it comes to human health, we are talking about such complicated subjects mm. that it is, it is, you know, the confounding factors, the amount of things that can be going on at the same time that you're not even aware of is so huge. It is so great that trying to associate one thing to the other in your head, not even in a study, not even in some, some sort of, uh, you know, objective scientific method of, of measuring 
which just you know i feel this and that's probably because you know when it comes to even diet right diet is one of many lifestyle factors that affect our health so to try to to try to point everything uh, that happens in terms of your health being caused by something that you ate is already incorrect. You know, there's, there's many other things that affect your health other than the food you eat. Uh, and uh, I, I hear this argument all the time. It's, well, you know, I, I did this and I didn't feel right. And so I figured that this was not the right thing for me. And there's already so many jumps that you are making, so many uh, assumptions that you are making with with very, very little evidence for where you know you don't even know if that one thing is even related to the effect right because it could be like i said thousands of other things that are causing you to feel a certain way Mm -hmm. and you hear this all the time where someone says well you know i I don't really care what the studies say because i've done my own n equals one study where i experimented with myself and i found out it didn't work and uh, you know my response to that is number one you did not do an n equals one study where where is the study published you know did you uh, <laughs> write down any of the confounding factors how did you control for that what type of statistical analysis did you use you know people you, you didn't actually do an n equals one study you just experimented with something and then saw how you felt and made a whole bunch of assumptions that have a, a million different ways that could have been incorrect so so you know that's it's one of the most uh, unreliable things um and, and then the other thing is um again as i was saying a lot of bad things uh, as i mentioned before can actually feel good and sometimes even with things like going down in weight right a lot of uh, toxins and chemicals and heavy metals things that are bad for us are actually stored in fat tissue and so even in people who are losing weight sometimes these things start getting released into our blood and Sometimes this can actually give you real symptoms, really bad symptoms. And then what are you going to assume that going down in weight is unhealthy? You know, so there's, there's so many things that can go wrong in this pattern of saying, okay, look, I've, I've experimented and the way I feel uh, just didn't sit well with me. And so this is, you know, that the cause and effect relationship between these factors are, are when it comes to nutrition and when it comes to human health, the cause and effect relationships are so complicated that even the most knowledgeable experts in the world would never dare to to try to figure out these relationships by feeling alone. It would it would just be so inaccurate that, that nobody can do it. So the average person who doesn't even have that much expertise to go around saying saying that, oh, I tried this and this caused that and therefore this is not good for me. It just makes no sense. So I think the only the only objective way to, to look at things is actually through, through evidence and, uh, you know, uh, looking at objective health outcomes when it comes to vegan diets, you want to look at health outcomes associated with vegan diets, but you also want to keep in mind that the diet isn't the only thing that is going to affect your health. Right. And, and I always try to talk a little bit about this too, because you have this dualistic thinking where people are saying, Oh, uh, health is all about exercise. As long as you exercise, you can eat whatever you want. And, you'll <laughs> and some people are like, no, it's all about what you eat. As long as you eat healthy, you can, you know. So everyone's always trying to find the one magic thing. But in reality, with complex things such as human health, you have so many things that impact. So sure, exercise and diet are probably two of the biggest things you can do. But there are other things. There are things like sleep, relaxation. There are things like spending enough time to out- outdoors, social well-being, mental health. There's so many aspects. And, uh, you know, trying to uh, oversimplify things is, is a m- all, oftentimes much more unhelpful 
than helpful and it really just gets people to to get into this uh, make make unaccurate conclusions which unfortunately the people who are going to to get hurt by this is is the people themselves and so the only objective way really to to make any decisions uh, based on your health is through actual objective evidence uh, rather than uh, you know feeling mm. yes absolutely i love the rant totally totally agree with that and what could be objective markers like is it um, the blood test you can do or what can you look at like is there a way or yeah yeah so i mean uh health outcomes in large large studies where if you're if you're actually considering do do plant-based diets affect people well then you can look at whatever the highest quality evidence is for that particular outcome that you're worried about other things you can do is for example like you said if you're worried about deficiencies don't look up symptoms of deficiencies and then say, oh, I have this symptom, this means I'm deficient. No, you actually want some objective evidence such as blood tests showing that you in fact are deficient in, in certain minerals, vitamins, right? So yes, it's, it's, really, it's really about uh, having to confirm any of your beliefs or thoughts with, with actual evidence because before you do that, what you're dealing with is, is just your theory. It's not, it's not a truth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it's yeah it can be difficult and, and you know again you have so many factors that can go wrong a lot of times when it comes to these people who quote-unquote didn't feel right on veganism and this is one of the things that the number one arguments with people who go on this carnivore thing where it's like oh i removed all plants i eat only meat and i feel better <laughs> well there's a million reasons why that could be right some people are you have an immune reaction to gluten some people have an immune reaction to soy some people can't uh, you know eat nuts or 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 uh, certain grains and there's so many things that people can have these uh, these very specific immunological reactions to and then you remove that and of course people feel better but it's not because plants are bad for you and meat is good for you right mm -hmm. it's this complete oversimplification of human biology and human health that tends people you know gets people to make such inaccurate and such illogical conclusions uh, about some of these things so yeah again the only the only way is is really to to have you know an evidence-based approach and, and try to of course feeling is i'm not saying that you should never just ignore how you feel if you're feeling you know if you have symptoms that are impairing your quality of life i'm not saying oh whoa, whoa my feelings count for nothing you know this is, doesn't mean anything i'm just gonna <laughs> keep on living the way i'm doing no that's not what i'm saying but be very very careful and making conclusions uh, about relationships, uh, uh, you know, between uh, different lifestyle factors, different nutrition, different foods, and how you feel solely based on how you feel, because it's extremely, extremely risky. And uh, more often than not, people end up making extremely incorrect conclusions. Yes, yes, I love that. Also, like you can take an example, um, B12, for example, if you like the B12 deficiency, like the symptoms, I think they take like even years to, to redevelop, to show, right? So you can feel great on a daily basis, like being vegan and not supplement B12, but then there is symptoms, but then it's already way too late. Uh, they show up way later, right? So that's a great example. Exactly. Good in the moment, but the real danger is later on. So that's... Exactly, exactly. It's one of the examples. Yeah, yeah, and there's always exceptions. That's why we need to like teach again people not to think in black and white, right? There's there's general rules, there's averages, but thinking, trying to oversimplify everything into rules is is 
is not the best. It's not right or wrong, black or white. There's always exceptions to almost any rule. And, uh, you know, trying to, to uh, live by this uh, black or white mentality of, oh, if I feel good, I must be healthy is, is definitely uh, not, the, not the best idea. And I, I recommend against it very strongly. <laughs> yes, great. Great to hear that from you. Um, cool. So what's your personal opinion on, uh, like personal opinion, okay. <laughs> what's your, what's the, what does the studies, uh, like what does the science say about um, SOS free, so salt, oil, sugar free, um, nutrition, um, also in the vegan, vegan scene, a lot of people want like push it uh, for it yeah, to be yeah. the end or be all to be healthy, like skip on salt, oil and sugar because those are the devil. Um, yeah, what's, what does the science say? Is it true? Like, do you, do you need to skip them to be healthy or is it an over-exaggeration um, in the end? Yeah, so again, I think this is a topic that needs breaking down a lot as well because there's so many uh, different aspects and so, so many different ways of viewing this. So, for example, you know, are we talking about oils and sugars found naturally in foods? Are we talking about uh, added oils and sugars? Are we talking about being generally healthy or are we talking about optimizing health there's so many different views that you can come into this argument from um but you know coming from from if you if you want to know the optimal and the the optimization point of view then generally speaking most of the scientific literature suggests that the, the less processed the less added sugar the less added oils uh, and the less added salt, the, the better we, we tend to do. Uh, this, again, doesn't mean that we shouldn't eat sugar from fruits and we, we should never, you know, again, it's the daily thing that counts. If you're eating a processed meal every now and then, that's not going to have a very big effect. It's, it's what you're doing on a daily basis that counts. Now, if you're eating, you know, so, again, depends on what people view. What is your perception of what is uh, too often, right? Some, sometimes I ask people, do you eat junk food or processed food often? They say, no, no, I don't eat very often. And I say, okay, okay, so how often do you, do you eat? Uh, just, you know, like once a day. Uh, and to me, that's like, okay, so, so once a day, that you're, you're eating this daily. This is every single day of your life. But, you know, in their perception, it's, it's one meal a day. They eat maybe five, six, seven meals a day. So it's, it's only one out of seven meals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so again, it's, it's very relative depending on what angle you're, you're coming from when you're looking at this, at this concept. But from an optimization point of view, just like you can say, oh, you know, drinking alcohol a few times a year isn't going to do you much harm. From an optimal point of view, the research suggests zero is best. And the same goes for, for you know, things like, like added sugars and, and stuff like that. It's, you know, from the evidence, the best evidence we have so far, eating no artificial and processed foods and eating no uh, added sugars is probably best. But you can still be very healthy eating it every now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so again, it's a very, very relative question. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just the truth. Um, and you have to also like, look, like see it in context, right. Of the whole diet as well. Um, exactly. Exactly. Important as well, like you just mentioned. So that's great to know when it comes to, when it comes to protein, it's also like a huge topic, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So we could do a whole episode about that and we're already oh, yeah. for more than an hour. Um, but I'm curious, what's your personal intake? So how much protein do you eat? Because you're also, of course, into fitness, you're working out, you are um, pretty well built, uh, of course, as well. So your goal is to build muscle, which a lot of the listeners also is their goal to build plant-based muscle and mm. um, look lean. So what's your personal like protein intake? What's your recommendation for 
vegans and want to build muscle on a plant-based diet? Yeah, so that's a great one, and it's like you said, it's a question that never goes away. Can the you know this year, five years ago, five years from now, <laughs> it's always a topic. Uh, but protein is again one of those things that are very relative, depending on what view you're taking. So, when it comes to health, protein is a non-topic, and that's again why you get so many people online saying we shouldn't even think about protein. Protein is the easiest thing to get, and, and from a health point of view, it's correct. If you're eating enough calories, if you're eating a variety of foods, there's basically no way you're going to get protein deficient, right? I, out of the dozens of hospitals and thousands of patients I've seen, I've never even heard of someone being there for protein deficiency. Um, actually, on a side note, uh, one funny story I have is actually one of the medical students in my university uh, did get a vitamin C deficiency, actually had scurvy. And the reason was uh, while uh, in exam period, while studying for exams, um, in order to save time and just study, 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 uh, this student decided to just live off of chips and was just eating chips for weeks and weeks and weeks until he ended up with clinical scurvy. Crazy. <laughs> and it's like, imagine going to the doctor and be like, oh, I think you, you have scurvy. <laughs> I, did, I don't think I've uh, heard of this from, for hundreds of years, but yeah, you have scurvy. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's extreme diets and extreme circumstances can give you some pretty extreme presentations. But yeah, from a, from a health point of view, extremely easy right the recommendation is set at 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of lean body weight but again from a optimal bodybuilding point of view the research shows quite different uh, recommendations right so uh, most of it is is going up towards even two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight or 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight depending on how you're measuring your own body weight and uh, again it, health and uh, muscular mus muscularity are two different things so you don't necessarily have to be muscular to be healthy and, and actually if i'm 100 percent honest being uh, optimally healthy would probably entail being a little bit leaner than uh, you know kind of the what the fitness trend is today mm -hmm. um so so again it, it kind of depends now again if you're gonna take the whole point of view and and, and look at you know, building muscle optimally in the context of an otherwise very healthy lifestyle, how, how far are we deviating from the optimal? Probably not that much. But again, if you want the optimal of the optimal, the, the healthiest way to live, then you probably don't want to, you know, be taking protein powders or, or eating very high amounts of protein or looking very muscular because it's, again, the truth, the, the unbiased truth that doesn't care about how we feel or what we think shows that you know we're probably a little bit better off not eating that much but um like i said in the context of an otherwise healthy lifestyle and especially if you're eating a lot of plant-based proteins which tend to have a much healthier profile for us the effect is probably very 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 small um so that is my what what i say to to people i work with and my clients as well is what is your goal if you want to be optimally healthy and that is your number one priority let's just eat foods and you can still eat high quality high protein foods that can can get you to be athletic and, and and you know you can still build muscle as well that's another thing it's not like it's an all or nothing thing like oh if you eat two grams of protein per kilogram body weight and you're taking protein powders and you're doing all these things that you can build muscle and if you don't you can't build muscle you know it's not like that you can still build muscle and you can still have a, a relatively impressive physique but if we're talking about optimizing if we're talking about growing as much as possible as quickly as possible really maximizing your gains that is again a different story so it's, it's always very, there's so much relativity going on in between all of these arguments. And it's really important to be very specific in what it is 
that that your goal is and what it is that you're trying to achieve uh because there there's so many little nuances to to uh, uh to take into account um but yeah so so from an optimal point of view from bodybuilding i would say probably two grams of protein per kilogram is what the research suggests now uh some people theorize that even a little bit higher could be even better uh, but you know equally important almost is is kind of calories and, and, and carbohydrates healthy carbohydrates and, and other yes. things like that antioxidants anti-inflammatory compounds that help you recover etc so again important not to get too narrow-minded in this it's all about protein and also think about all the other things and just like with health you know being healthy otherwise these other lifestyle factors can also improve your performance in sports things like keeping your stress down relaxing sleeping your mental health all these things um, do have an impact again so uh, again i think it's it's a complicated thing to do and it can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming, but really, you know, ha not having an all or nothing approach, recognizing that it's a process and that you give yourself time to slowly learn about these things and slowly incorporate more and more of these things and, and allowing yourself to, to improve with time rather than having to be this perfect, uh, you know, know it all from the beginning and, and just improve with time and, uh, and, and realize that uh, there, there is a lot of things that have to be taken into account and the, the whole picture point of view having the, the full perspective is always going to be the most accurate. Mm. Yes. I like that. Absolutely. Totally agree. If you want to aim for optimal health, like building as much muscle as possible, is not always super healthy, right? It's not always the healthy way to go because you're eating a ton of food. Sometimes when you're like very tall and you, if you want to gain muscle and like gain weight, you need to eat in a surplus and carry surplus and you're like very tall, and uh, you have to eat a lot of food. So it's like you need to need yeah, a lot yeah. of calories and that's also long term, maybe not as healthy. Um, so exactly, exactly. How tall are you, by the way? You look pretty tall and on your uh, social media. Yeah, I'm one, 190, so six. Oh, three. okay, okay. Nice, nice. You're a tall, tall dude as well. <laughs> but you as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I think it's uh, six, I think it's six, four. It's one, 193 centimeters. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's actually one of the most common things when I'm working with people is that people have a hard time just eating enough food <laughs> to bulk up, you know? Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's always funny though with social media is when you, when you see pictures of people, it's very hard to tell, uh, you know, how tall people are uh, when That's you true. just have a, a kind of pictures of, of one person. And then, you know, you meet this, I had so many funny experiences where I meet people in real life who have only seen either on TV or on, on Instagram or on YouTube or on social media. And you're just like, whoa, this person is completely defying my expectations, you know, like either they're way shorter or much taller or whatever it is, you know, something is just like, you just have this subconscious image that gets formed in your head and then you see them in real life and sometimes it can be a very big shocker. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like YouTube, um, you can really like, you can influence the angles, right? Like that's also another big thing about social media. You can influence the angles, the lighting. So you never yeah, know. Yeah. If the if the person actually as lean or how tall the person is, so it's, it's crazy. Exactly. Um, yeah. Cool. So I want to dive into um, actually I want to dive into an example of, of your day. So what what does a full day of eating look like for you? Like for a vegan doctor, what to eat from? Like maybe usually, maybe of course every day is different. But um, what's what what do you pay attention? to? Maybe what are your when you think about food in the morning? Like, what do you pay attention to and when you choose your meal in the morning? What is important to you and what does, what could be some examples? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, first off, I just have to say, um, 
you know, I'm not, I, I'm a pretty, uh, I'm a simpleton when it comes to food. <laughs> so I can, I can, I'm very easy to please. Sometimes, you know, I can go almost a full week eating the same stuff every day, you know. So variety for me is not always the, the highest priority. Um, but, you know, it's the, the healthful ingredients, having enough of all the different components and, and making sure you're getting your nutrition. That's really uh, what matters the most to me in terms, and, and this is something, I don't know if you've had experience with this, but whenever you meet people and have friends who aren't vegan, um, you know, uh, sometimes they'll come and see what I'm eating and I'm just eating this like broccoli with tofu or something like this is super simple, you know, and they're like, oh, vegan food sucks. <laughs> I say, look, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not the representation of all vegans in the world, okay? This is how I do things because I am extremely uh, unpicky when it comes to food. Um, but it, it's it's always funny to to see how people make assumptions like that. But anyways, so for for a normal day of eating, then usually I'm an oat porridge person in the morning. So uh, that will be a mashed banana, some oatmeal, uh, some organic raisins because raisins is is one of the uh, Dirty dozen. I don't know if you've heard about that. It's mm-hmm. kind of the ones that contain the most pesticide uh, in, in conventional bought uh, foods. So try to eat organic when it comes to things like strawberries and, and grapes and, and raisins and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, basically, anyways, uh, some organic raisins. Uh, usually throw in some some types of nuts, either walnuts, uh, some pumpkin seeds. Um, then we have the frozen berries. Again, if it's blueberries, I, I, I one of the few things I make sure to always buy organic, either blueberries, strawberries. Uh, and then, uh, you know, for, for porridges, I, I sometimes I use water, sometimes I use almond milk, uh, things like that. And then now that I'm kind of, again, think of optimally trying to, to focus and, and increasing my muscle mass, I do sometimes sprinkle in a tiny bit of, uh, of protein powder um, just to, to make sure I'm hitting those numbers. Um, and then I, I like to add a little bit of sometimes uh, chopped some chopped apples with ginger and cinnamon that I kind of uh, 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 cook on the side and get a really nice kind of cinnamony uh, apple to add into the porridge, which which is really nice. Uh, but that's yeah, that's ba- the basic breakfast for me that I have on most days. Uh, in the summer, sometimes I have smoothie bowls, which you know you can add all sorts of fruits and berries into the smoothie, and then you can have. Uh, puffed oats and, and seeds and nuts and whatever you like, uh, which is very nice. But now that the temperatures are cooling, uh, the porridges are, are, are very nice um, for sure. Uh, in terms of lunch, then, usually I'll go with either something like, uh, you know, I've done in the past a lot of whole grain bread with, you know, avocados, uh, homemade hummus, which is, you know, oil-free and, and salt-free and sugar-free and that kind of stuff. Um organic jams etc uh, but lately I've, I've been doing quite a bit of, of just big again just you know purely saving time big big smoothies you just throw in the fruits throw in the the berries the, the nuts the seeds uh, and, and and by the way the the nuts and seeds that I also like to have at least once a day I, I add a big a tablespoon of, of both flax seeds and chia seeds into a coffee grinder get them ground up and then add them either to my smoothies or to my porridge uh, and, and this is just something I like to say because no matter how healthy flax seeds may be if, if you're not absorbing them it's not going to do you much good 
and so uh, grinding them up is a huge game changer for for that. It really really allows you to to get a lot more out of it. And, and you know, coffee grinders are super easy. You can buy them pretty cheap in almost any electronic store. Have a tiny little coffee grinder, throw in the flax seeds, grind them up. Takes five seconds, done. Throw it into a smoothie. Uh, so that's that's one thing I like to do. And then dinners is is quite different every time. But again, focusing on the the, the whole food staple. So whole grains, legumes, vegetables, uh, fruits. I usually don't have too much in, in dinner. Uh, sometimes if I have black beans, I'll have a few slices of either mandarins or or, or, or oranges. It's kind of a Brazilian culture, which they've done for, for a long time, which now is shown by science to actually be beneficial since the vitamin C helps absorb the, the iron, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, always some sort of vegetable, either whether it be something like, uh, you know, a warm cooked vegetable such as uh, chard or, or broccoli or something like that or whether it be a salad uh, you know that's a, a definitely a daily thing and then next to it we'll have either quinoa uh, rice with beans uh, you know sometimes whole grain pasta it's it really it really can change and and again for the for the uh, protein aspect sometimes I have a little bit of tofu or tempeh just to add a little bit of boost um, and then I, I usually have a fourth at least a fourth big meal um, which is a post-workout smoothie whenever I'm done with the gym. And that's when I have quite a bit of protein powder and then all the fruits and berries like always. And then lately for snacks, I, I usually I just eat, eat quite a bit of fruit, but also eating a lot of, uh, you know, walnuts, uh, sometimes some almonds, uh, cashews, stuff like that. And I've actually been eating these Trek bars for a while now. So these are, uh, uh, there's four flavors that don't contain added sugar or oil. It's the berry, the banana, the uh, cacao, and the, the peanuts. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I eat them <laughs> sometimes when I'm on the go because they're 10 grams of protein per bar as well. Um, and uh, otherwise, they are all whole food ingredients with a lot of dates and, and, and nuts and, and stuff like that in them. And, and they taste good. Uh, but some of the other Trek bars have, you know, like the chocolate coated ones, they have uh, quite a bit of sugar and oil and stuff like that. So I avoid those. But that's, you know, a pretty normal standard uh, day of eating for me. I, like I said, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm pretty big, so I do eat quite a lot. I have usually, I'm sitting around 4,000 calories, and, um, you know, I eat huge quantities. And this is something that's been the case since I was a small kid. I always ate a lot. You know, I, I like to say to people that my most flexible body part is my stomach. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of food, and that's you know, since before I went vegan, but then again, people make assumptions, right? People say, oh, I could never be vegan because look how much you eat. I could never eat that much. And again, mm -hmm. you know, I am not the sole representation of veganism. Anyways, that's, that's a, a basic full day of eating for me. Yes, love it. Absolutely. You are eating 4,000 calories the vegan way. So um, that's like props to you. I love it. I'm, when I eat like 3,500, like I'm stuffed. Like it's, uh, I'm full, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a challenge, like I said. For and, and you know, I have a bit of a talent there. I think uh, when I was doing my undergrad, I was doing, uh, you know, track and field. So I was doing sprints, uh, really trying to specialize in 100 and 200 meter sprints. We're doing almost daily track and field workouts. Also did a little bit of you know, long jump, javelin throw, all that good stuff. It was a lot of fun actually. Uh, but then I was also doing gym. Uh, doing basically two workouts a day and I was training like crazy and then going to college and was just active all the time and so in that period I was I was actually eating uh, most often uh, close to 8,000 calories a day um, <laughs> and that was uh, 
Well, now that was that was uh, even challenging for me sometimes. You know, I would uh, <laughs> really have that uh, pregnant, uh, pregnant stomach uh, feeling after after a big dinner. <laughs> yes, yes, that's awesome. It's getting close to Michael Phelps, who I think he was eating like ten thousand calories plus. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it crazy. crazy. I think even like twelve thousand at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. <laughs> insane, man. Awesome, man. So thank you so much for yeah sharing all of that, bringing amazing value. Um, I always like to end the podcast with like four rapid fire questions um, where we basically just share your quick yes or no or like what's the thing you're using. Um, okay, sure. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So first one, um, what's your favorite vegan protein powder? Uh, Vivo Life. All right. Um, what's your number one tip to get bigger arms as a vegan? Uh, well, I guess it would be, um, to, uh, do more, uh, heavy, heavy weight sessions where you're, you're getting your arms really burning like crazy and also make sure that you're, you're getting in the, the nutrition so you can get the most out of the, the work you're putting in. Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite workout music? Ooh, I, I will go with this one is kind of unique. It's probably, it would be like uh, two steps from hell and, and, and these uh, kind of instrumental epic music nice. that just gets you to feel like you're doing something important in the world when you're lifting that weight. <laughs> I love it. I have to try that. That sounds epic. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and if you could choose one food and like magically make the calories of that food disappear, so you could eat how much of it and how often you want, um, which which of which food would it be? Um, and it would be customized to you. So it would be the only one on this planet who could eat this food and have it be at zero calories. Which one would it be? Oh wow! Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the passion fruit pie. It's always been my weakness since I was a little child. It's just it's just the perfect combination of sweet and sour, and it's just the oh oh don't get me started. It's just too delicious. So <laughs> if you could make that healthy and and allow me to eat that as much as I wanted, I'd I'd be uh, I'd be a happy man for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Cool. So thank you, thank you so much again for taking your time. I know you're busy AF. Um, we really appreciate you delivering so much value, especially diving deep into like studies, how to not be biased, how to, uh, how to find out like what sources to listen to and how much protein you need and, and so on. Super valuable. So where can people find you? Where do you want to send people and want to connect with you, maybe work with you together or, check you out on social media where where should they go yeah so uh yeah first of all thank you so much for having me it's been great um in terms of uh, my social media then i do have a youtube channel it's just dr leo venus like the planet uh venus it's actually my name is is venos which is a norwegian name that has this little letter that doesn't exist in the english alphabet so uh, to make it more international my brother came up with the idea of, of change it to Venus. So that's how, how that started. But anyways, so I have Dr. Leo Venus on YouTube. And then it's also just all in one word, Dr. So Dr. Leo Venus on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also have a website, drleovenus.com, uh, where, you know, I, I do have some services for people who are wanting to optimize their health or their fitness, also some uh, online consultations. And uh, people can uh, reach me on, on email as well. Um, so probably those, you know, on Instagram, I also have a link to all of these different ones. So people can probably the easiest thing would be just to, to go on Dr. Leo Venus on Instagram and then find a way to contact me through there. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely link everything below in the show notes. So you can, uh, people can just click the link 
and make sure to check it out. Um, again, like I love your content. I really have to say that again, you are super science based. I, I see that you are um, always putting light on all different like areas of the topic, not just be like, yeah, like everything is good um, and everything is awesome as being what you look at like all the different sides, which is, which is great. Um, and I love, love the content for that and I appreciate you being here. And also, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, we um, enjoyed this one. If you enjoyed this one as well, then go ahead, give it a rating on iTunes. Um, then write a quick review. Of course, only if you enjoyed it, but I hope you did. And so we can make this uh, vegan movement, science-based vegan movement grow uh, even, even more. So, uh, Leo, thanks so much for being on. And yeah, talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Yes, yes. What did you think? What an amazing episode again. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do me a favor and subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. We'll hear each other in the next episode. Until then, keep up the vegan vibes.